My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. Uh, if you got your Bibles, we'll be in Mark chapter 9 this morning. We'll also be in a couple of the other Gospels. So uh, you might want a, an entire New Testament with you this morning. I would encourage you, if you have a minute, to go to OurSundaySchool.com and grab a copy of today's handout. It's the same handout as the last two weeks, except for this week. It has the correct dates at the top of the page. Uh, so somehow or another, I got the numbers off, and uh, it is November 15th, uh, 2020. So if you want to go ahead and do that, that'd be great. And uh, as... As we do each week, we'll start with our question, uh, what is God doing in you, uh, through the portion of Mark that we've studied so far. And uh, it's an interesting question, and it's one that I think is helpful for us to, to look inward uh, and to look uh, to the Scripture to see uh, what is God doing in us through the portion of Mark that we have studied so far. So we are, uh, Lord willing, going to finish up this uh, section of Mark, this last section of Mark chapter 9 today. And uh, we're looking at the last two verses, verses 49 and 50. But as we do each week, I want to read the entire chapter of Mark 9. And uh, while you're opening your Bibles to Mark 9, I'll greet you guys this morning. So we see some folks here. So room 206 is up and running. Thank you, Jessica, with uh, Brittany and uh, Bobby there as well. Uh, the Barbers are here, the Johnsons are here, the Arnolds are here, uh, Day is there as well in 206. Um, let's see, the Landers, the other Arnolds at a different location. Nancy's here from Oak Ridge. Hey, Nancy, good to have you this morning. And uh, so I'm glad to, glad to see you folks uh, here and with us. So let's read Mark chapter 9. I'm reading out of the ESV. That's what we've been in uh, this entire series. And in a couple of months, I'll actually have an update on uh, some changes that are going to be coming out uh, to a couple of different things relative to Bible translations. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, Bible translation junkie here. So let's read uh, Mark chapter 9. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified, and a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, 
Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, 
where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Well, good morning to some more folks who have joined us. Uh, say hello to my mom. Good morning, mom. Uh, Terry Bolden. Uh, good morning to Jen Campbell and the Archers. Fantastic. Glad you guys could join us this morning. So we just finished reading Mark chapter 9. And uh, I'll go over my assumptions one more time before we look at uh, verses 49 and 50 this morning. But uh, three big questions about uh, this particular text, verses 42 through 50, those uh, those verses there. Uh, first big question is, is this to be taken literally, right? Are, are you supposed to, are we supposed to uh, maim ourselves uh, to prevent ourselves from sinning? Uh, and obviously this is, this is not the case, right? This is not the, uh, is not the directive of Jesus that would fly in the face of a spectacular amount of teaching about what it means to be made in the image of God, about what it means to respect our bodies, uh, about what it means to take care of ourselves as they reflect uh, and are the temple of the Spirit. Uh, the second question is, are these sections connected? So are verses 42 to 48 connected to 49 to 50? And I, I would argue, yes, they are. Uh, we talked about that a little bit last week, that word, uh, that very first word in verse 49, uh, gar. This is the assigning a reason. Uh, you could translate it as therefore, and uh, therefore connects something that's before to something that was after. So it's very much a connected thought, at least in Jesus' mind, because those are the words that he used. So I'm going to go with what Jesus says. And then uh, the third question is, are verses 42 through 50 connected to the larger text of verses 1 through 41? Uh, and I would say yes to that as well. Uh, tremendous amount of consistency in language. Uh, I, the, the one uh, potential here that I would argue uh, might might be a negative toward uh, answering questions two and three here is that Mark never says explicitly. And if you're, if you're into uh, synoptic gospels, if you're into Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the, the gospels that kind of look at things from a very specific perspective, you'll notice that Mark appears to tell the story out of order. And if you caught that, good. If you didn't catch that, Mark appears to tell the story out of order. Uh, but he never says he's telling the story in order. Luke very explicitly at the beginning of his gospel says, hey, I'm, I'm going to lay these things out in order for you so that you can understand what happened. Mark makes no such claim, uh, which I would argue is quite consistent with the speaking patterns of Peter, who we think Mark was hanging out with when Mark wrote down the gospel. This is, in some respects, you could call this the gospel according to Peter. Secondhand is written by Mark as inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's just a really long title, so we don't go with that. But uh, I would argue that uh, Peter's uh, ADHD, maybe, uh, didn't lend itself toward the rigorous scrutiny and uh, orderliness of Luke's gospel. If you read Mark's gospel and then you read Luke's gospel, you're just thinking, oh my goodness, you know, this is, these are two totally different people. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's good for us that we have different perspectives on these things. So Mark doesn't claim to tell things in order. Uh, but the specific words that Jesus uses that connect these sections imply very heavily that they are done uh, actually in order. <clears throat> so this section is 42 through 49. Last uh, week we looked at uh, the last couple of verses right before 49. Uh, we looked at uh, 
two weeks ago, I left you in uh, with the word hell there. We talked about Gehenna, uh, what that was, how this is to be interpreted at that time. Uh, we'll, we'll pick up here in 42. I just want to read through this section one more time. Um, so, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, so this is the this is the child that Jesus has put in the midst of them that he just held in the prior passage. And I would argue that this is the, the kid is there the entire time throughout this entire uh, speech. Uh, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So it'd be better for him if he were already dead. Right? Verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. So this first of this triad of, of uh, directives here, uh, it is better for you to enter life this would be the life after the life we are in now. Uh, better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Verse 45, and if your foot, so your hand, now your foot, causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. So again, this hell is the Gehenna. 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, uh, tear it out. Um, for it is better... For you to enter the kingdom of God, so this transition here from life into kingdom of God, uh, with one eye, then with two eyes, to be, present tense, active here, thrown into hell. And then there's a quote at the beginning of verse 48, where uh, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, the quote comes from the very last verse in Isaiah's prophecy. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, actually last week, I think. And um, the reason this is important is Jesus is connecting this Old Testament concept of judgment, those who have opposed Israel, those who have slain Israelites, those who have rejected uh, the Lord God, uh, that judgment is coming, which really helps to frame the triad that he has just talked about. If your hand, if your foot, if your eye causes you to sin. So Jesus is is closing in on this concept of judgment here by quoting the end of Isaiah. And then verse 49, uh, where we left off last week, this word gar, this uh, for, assigning a reason, is connecting 48 and 49. For everyone, he means everyone here, right, will be salted with fire. So salt is good, um, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So we pick up with verse 49 today. For everyone will be salted with fire. So let's talk about a couple of things real quick. Um, good morning to the Gregs. Hello to my friends in North Carolina and their friends in North Carolina. Welcome. Uh, so this word salted uh, in verse 49 is a future passive indicative, which you might think, well, what does that mean? All right, future going to take place in the future. Passive means it happens to you. And indicative is a statement of fact. So when Jesus uses the indicative, this is very helpful for us because we know these things are going to happen. The indicative is used when the speaker is speaking or writing about something that they believe will happen. And if Jesus believes it will happen, it will happen. This is very helpful. So a future passive indicative is something that's going to happen in the future to us. So everyone will be salted with fire. You might be thinking, fire? Yes, we've just talked about fire several times as it relates to the burning fires of hell, where the fire is unquenchable. Remember this asbestos conversation we had? Uh, this connects back to the end of Isaiah as well, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, this unquenchableness. 
So everyone will be salted with fire. And if you stopped right here, you might think, that's just weird. Yeah, it is. But there's a little uh, footnote there, a J in the uh, ESV. So I'm going to go down to our footnotes, look at our J footnote. It says, some manuscripts add, and every sacrifice will be salt, uh, salted with salt. Which is why the vast majority of commentaries that pick this up and want to comment on and help the reader have some perspective on what is going on here will make a reference to the Levitical sacrifice, to the idea that uh, very often in the Old Testament, sacrifices were salted before they were sacrificed. Uh, so I would argue that's a variant reading. It's not in the best manuscripts that we have, so that we should we should be aware that it exists, and that's going to influence some people's understanding of this text. But I would not argue that it is actually part of the original text that Mark wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the text reads, For everyone will be salted with fire. And then Jesus does something that is very, very Hebraic. Uh, his, his Jewishness is on full display here. Um, if you go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, so God walks us through the six days of creation and then the rest day. And then he comes back in chapter 2 and explores more of what's going on. The creation of Adam, the creation of Eve. He explores their relationship. Then in chapter 3, he digs into a very specific time period in that relationship with the, uh, the fall, how Satan uh, injects himself into the process. But it is not a linear storytelling. It is not a start to finish. right? This is not the way Jews tell stories because it's not the way God tells stories. And God's storytelling method is a I'm going to give you the big picture and I'm going to hone in on one little piece and explain that piece because this is the piece you need to understand as it relates to the whole so you can see both the whole, the big picture of what God is doing and the individual pieces to what God is doing. So the point Jesus is actually making is verse 49. Like, for everyone will be salted with fire. But the explanation comes in verse 50, which is very helpful for us. So verse 50, salt is good. Now, you might be thinking, so I'm going to be back. I forgot to get something. I'll be right back. So I'll say that my wife was right. I just found a benefit for an open concept house. I didn't have to go through any doors to go to our kitchen to get the salt. So if you're thinking this is what Jesus is talking about, yes, that's exactly right. He's talking about salt. So we, we, now we typically don't use salt in this kind of quantity, right? We use that thing to fill up this thing, right? We just need a little bit of salt. We don't need tons of salt. So salt is good. And I would say most of us would say, sure, it's good. Salt's good, right? But, but what's he actually talking about here? Right. So let's take a look. So salt has a couple of different definitions as it's used in the Bible, specifically the New Testament. So one, it's just salt, right? Like we're, it is, the thing is what it is. But if you haven't noticed so far, Jesus is using a tremendous amount of figurative language He's being very non-literal in this passage. And that should make us think, well, is he really talking about salt or is he talking about something else? And if you look at your handout, you'll see that prudence is also a definition for this word salt, 
which mean wisdom or sound judgment. This idea of uh, a righteous judge is going to be looking at something and declaring something rightly, that there is a, a, a view that is unskewed, a view that is unblurred, that someone can look and see and go, yes, I understand exactly what's going on here. I can see the truth of a thing. Now, if we know verse 48 was just talking about judgment, and we know that Jesus has just said in 49, for everyone will be salted with fire, sure feels like we're continuing on with the judgment concept here. So salt is good, right judgment is good, but if the salt, if this judgment has lost its saltiness, if it's no longer good, right? Then how will you make it salty again? So I'll give you a couple references here if you want to look in uh, some other gospels. Matthew 5, 13 is another reference to salt in the New Testament. There's only a few in the entire New Testament. Um, and a, a good practice when a, when a author uses one word a lot of times, you're probably going to get a good whole view of what this word means. When an author uses a word just a few times, like all the times that Mark uses the word salt, are in verse 50. 49 is actually the verb form of the salt. Uh, but that's it. So this is not a really complex, deep view of the word salt. So Matthew 5, 13 is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has just gone through uh, the Beatitudes. The next thing he says is, you are the salt of the earth. Does that sound like we're talking about judgment? Probably not, right? Because we weren't really, we weren't really in that vein there. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Luke fourteen is another section where we talk about salt. Luke fourteen uh, thirty four. So the very very similar words to in Mark chapter nine. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Right? And then he goes on and talks about that there's no other use for, uh, it is of no other use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then one more time it's used in uh, the New Testament in Colossians chapter 4. Nope, I have written it. I have written it down wrong. It is not Colossians chapter 4. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt is the phrase that I am looking for. So if somebody wants to Google that and help me out with the reference, that would be helpful. You can just type it in the comments. That'd be very good. I'll update my notes too. Uh, but this is how salt is used in the New Testament. That's it. That's all the references to salt in the New Testament. And you might be thinking, well, that's not a lot. Right. It's not a lot. It's not a lot at all. So we don't have a lot to go on here, but we know this word can be used for literal salt and for judgment or uh, sound judgment or decision-making uh, itself. So salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, if this judgment, if this decision-making is no longer good, how, and this is, a, this is an interesting translation that the ESV uses here because the word can also mean who or what uh, or who will make it salty again? 
or what will make it salty again, or how will you make it salty again? I would argue that a, a who is a much cleaner translation from the context. So if we are having trouble with our judgment, who can assist with that? Well, God can assist with that. With what? With his words. How? Through the indwelling of the Spirit, in the combination of God's word, working in the heart of a believer. Kind of using the who, the what, and the how. They're all together. So how will you make it salty again? Or how will you fix it? How will you how will you be able to use this as a, as a spice as it was designed to be able to use? And then Jesus comes to a couple of uh, plural present active imperatives. And he does not give a lot of plural present active imperatives. He gives a lot of singular present active imperatives. So a singular present active imperative is uh, Caleb, who's sitting on the couch over here. I want you to stand up right now. Stand up. Stand up. Now, you'll notice I had to tell him three times before he did because he wasn't really sure if he was serious. And he's not on camera right now, so nobody can actually see. He stood up. Now, he's extraordinarily tall, for those of you wondering right now. He's right at six foot tall. And if you're having trouble with that, we're having trouble with that too. He towers over his mom. And he likes to stand next to me with his shoes on because he's pretty dang close to eye level with his shoes on. So thank you, son. You can sit down. Uh, so a plural present active imperative, and they will not do this because there's no way she's going to stand up, would be Julie and Caleb stand up, right? So that, that's a directed at a group for a group to do a thing. Now, the present active imperative, the imperative is to stand up. The present active is keep standing, keep standing, keep standing, keep standing. And this plural is to a group to continually do something over and over again. So what does Jesus tell them to do? Have salt in yourselves. So is he saying? <laughs> because your interpretation is going to fall apart very, very quickly if you believe Jesus is referring to literal salt. This really doesn't make a lot of sense. Right? Yes, there is a portion in the New Testament where Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach. He had some stomach issues. This apparently would help fix that. Jesus is not referring to ingesting salt on a daily basis. This is something else. So what is the something else? Well, we've just kind of walked through. We believe this is associated with some type of a judgment, making good decisions, uh, declaring things to be true that are true and false that are false. So have salt in yourselves. Remember what we talked about earlier when John said, hey, that exorcist, he's not following us. And Jesus said, that's, that's, not, that's not your business, John. I'm paraphrasing here. He's, I'm going to get it right here. Hang on. I want to paraphrase Jesus on this. He said, it's the top of the page here, uh, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me for the one who is not against us is for us. John, that's not your business. Your business is to do what I've told you to do. His business is to do what I've told him to do. And if he's not opposing us, then he's with us. So you stay doing what I told you to do. Which, again, is just one more illustration of how Jesus must have felt like he had 12 children just running around all the time. And in this situation, he had another child in the midst of them that he's talking about, which is just phenomenal. Uh, and we're going to talk about more children in John in uh, Mark chapter 10. So he says, have salt in yourselves. So be judging wisely. Be making sound decisions. 
be understanding, be wise in yourselves, in this group. And don't stop. Keep doing it. And this is a, this is a command for them to collectively obey. It's not a command for them to individually obey. It's a command for them to collectively obey. It's a very diff- different thing. This is one of the reasons, if you're looking at your handout, at the very last page of the handout for today's lesson, uh, when it says personalize, what do we do with that? Not what do I do with that? I, I have very little uh, patience anymore for uh, over-individualizing the Christian faith. The Christian faith is not a me thing. The Christian faith is not an I thing. The Christian faith is a we-us thing. Right? It is not an individualistic thing. It is a collective thing. So, all right. I'm going to start getting aggravated here. So have salt in yourselves. So that's the first uh, repetitive command to obey. And second, be at peace with one another. <laughs> so third week in a row, I've worn my UFC shirt, my sweatshirt, right? This is, I've got like seven of them, but uh, this is the one that's easiest probably to read. So be at peace with one another. Why would he tell them to continually be at peace? Because this is another plural present active imperative. Why would he tell them to be at peace with one another? Because they were just arguing, right? And what do they do in chapter 8? They argue. What do they do in chapter 10? They argue. What do they do in chapter 9? They argue. They argue a lot. And what do we do? We, we argue a lot, right? Now, what's he tell them to do? Be wise. Make good decisions. Be at peace with one another. You see how consistent the message of Jesus is all the way through? Because you cannot do this apart from him. You cannot do this apart from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this apart from the conviction that the Spirit brings to our sins so that we are then called to repent and believe in the gospel. That's not the way this works. This is not a, oh, I can just muster up strength and do this. I can make good decisions and I can be at peace with everybody. No, you won't. It'll look like the worst parts of Facebook and Twitter, right? This is not what we are called to do. We are called to be at peace with one another. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. This is from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is not putting this up for debate. You'll notice in the in the, the text here, there is no discussion. He doesn't take questions on this, <laughs> right? This is a command from our King. This is serious. And I would argue that this is a direct rebuke to the disciples about their earlier lack of wisdom and judgment, how they didn't understand who the greatest was and how they didn't understand what they were supposed to do with this exorcist who wouldn't follow in them. He's dealing with their desire to fight and put self first. We have the same problem today, right? We still have a desire to fight and to put self first. I want to be right. I want to be the best. I want to be the greatest. Muhammad Ali was not the first guy that came along and said, I want to be the greatest. The disciples put on a really good clinic of that conversation. So let's take a look at some applications and personalizations. So I don't think I've done any of these since we started this particular text. So several of these are going to come from a couple of weeks ago from the lesson then. So application uh, number one, uh, what we do here and now matters. Uh, What we do here and now matters. Even though Jesus was talking uh, parabolically about, uh, hyperbolically, sorry, not parabolically. He was talking hyperbolically about cutting off our uh, parts of our body. 
the point he's making is what, what we do matters, right? The, the, how we behave, how we act, this is, this has significance. So what do we do with that? Well, when, when we are confronted with our sin, we repent and believe in the gospel, right? Now, I would love to see some of your, uh, little, uh, your gospels of Mark, the ESV scripture journals, because some of you write down all of these personalizations and applications in the journal. And I would love to know how many times you have written down repent and believe in the gospel since we've been going through Mark's gospel. Because it is, it's, it's a lot, right? It's a, it's a lot. It was the theme of Jesus' teaching. So uh, application point number two, structure matters. Structure matters. Uh, not everything in the Bible is to be taken literally. This is going to hurt some of your ears. <laughs> but not everything in the Bible is to be taken literally. You want to take everything in the Bible literally? Then you've got no eyes, no hands, and no feet right now. Obviously, this is not how Jesus wants us to walk around. right? There are very specific things, very specific ways that God communicates, sometimes using metaphor, sometimes using hyperbole, to help us understand the significance of a thing. It's not a, oh, we discount it. It's no, we should listen up even more because of the emphasis that God is putting on this. Right, So structure matters. So what do we do with that? Number two, personalize is examine the structure of texts. Examine the structure of texts. <clears throat> it is worth your time. Uh, taking a deep look at structure is a great way not to get off on the side rails of uh, apostasy and heresy. Um, structure can help keep us very close to the intended point of the author, as opposed to, well, I think I want to insert this, and I think I want to insert this, and I think, no, 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 I don't care what we think. I don't care what I think. I care what the author thinks. I think I care what God thinks. I care what the Holy Spirit wants me to think about this, right? Application number three, uh, isolation in life and Bible study is dangerous. Isolation in life and Bible study is dangerous. Jesus gives plural present active imperatives. Plural. It means we can't do this alone, right? One of the things that really helps us as believers is to be with other believers. It's one of the things that makes this time in our history so challenging, right? We can't physically be with each other because there's physical danger associated with that. So what do we do with that? Engage with others to be wise and to be at peace. It's okay to remind ourselves and to remind each other, hey, let's be wise about that. Let's have good judgment about that. Let's, let's judge rightly on that. Let's look at this situation and say, yes, that's right. No, that's wrong. Let's help each other in this area. That's a good thing. And when we're misunderstood, let's clarify, right? Let's be at peace with each other. Our goal is not to be at war with each other. That's not our goal. I, I've learned that some people just like to fight. Some people just like to be angry. I, I just want to tell you, you can put that stuff down. You don't have to be angry. You really don't. You can just be at peace with people. And then application number four, uh, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. So what do we do with that? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I would argue that we should repent and believe in the gospel because judgment is coming. 
There is coming a day where Jesus will deal with all sin and all sinners forever. There's coming a day where the sheep and the goats will be separated. There's coming a day where hell will be populated with countless souls. There's coming a day when heaven will be populated with those who are sons and daughters of God. Judgment is coming. So I'm challenged to repent and to believe in the gospel. So our plan, so that's the end of the lesson for today. So our plan for uh, next week, Lord willing, is to start with uh, Mark 10 prep. So we'll walk through our talking about the Bible, make sure we're reminded of our process, look at Mark 10, ask a lot of questions about Mark 10. Um, I, I will challenge you that um, if you read things in Mark chapter 10 and you go, I don't like that, like just be very careful because there's some stuff in Mark 10 that is easy to not like. There's some things in Mark 10 that are that would be shockingly, shockingly unpopular if you were to state those things in a staff meeting that you have at work this week or with coworkers or with friends that are not Christians or some friends that are Christians. Um, so just let the text say what the text says and let's come to grip with the fact that God knows what is best and right and he has uh, put into his uh, scripture exactly what we should have. Uh, so next week will be Mark 10 prep. So what do we do between now and then? We'll pray for help in understanding Mark. Hear Mark multiple times. So read Mark chapter 10 over and over and over this week. Uh, think about Mark chapter 10. Talk with somebody about Mark chapter 10. Share your insights with somebody about Mark chapter 10 and then invite somebody. I would love for more people to be engaged in this type of Bible study with us. Uh, I will encourage you that you can go to OurSundaySchool.com and sign up for our weekly email. Uh, there's a podcast and then a YouTube channel. And in my last 30 seconds this morning, I want to say a special thanks to Dave Barber. A couple of things. Uh, we had, uh, as of last week, 10 years worth of podcasts up for our Sunday school. And I got to looking at the numbers because I'm a numbers guy. This is just what I do. And uh, we were shockingly inconsistent about getting recordings up and making sure things worked properly the first couple of years that we did this. And it was fundamentally because, hi, my name's Jim, trying to do things that Jim is not really skilled at doing. Enter Dave Barber into the mix. Dave basically just told me one Sunday morning, um, I'm just going to handle this for you so that you can go do what you uh, are called to do, which is teach. And I'm just going to take care of all this stuff. And our percentage of weeks that we got recorded and recorded well and were published and posted went uh, through the roof to the point where it is exceedingly uncommon for us to miss or to have something that goes wrong. And on the weeks that we're some, we do miss or have something goes wrong, it's because Dave's not there and I didn't read his directions properly. So big thanks for Dave for uh, a tremendous amount of consistency and uh, helping to get these things done right and done with uh, excellence uh, in a way that I think is good and reflects well on our King. So uh, 10 years of podcasts up there. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. So uh, go to OurSundaySchool.com if you're interested in those resources. And with that, Lord willing, I will see you guys next week as we start Mark chapter 10. Double digits, baby. I'm excited. All right. Hope to see you next week. Y'all be safe. I love you guys, and I'm praying for you every day. Thanks. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.